official Adam Sank Show merchandise at adamsank.com. T-shirts, tank tops, mugs, masks, just about everything you can think of emblazoned with the Adam Sank Show logo. Go to adamsank.com to order your merch today. Thank you. Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. This is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Hello! Hello, puppets! Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live. But this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, November 6th. I can't believe we're almost at the end of 2021. How this year has flown. Uh, we are here at dnrstudios.com, the only place to hear this podcast throughout the week that it first airs and live, which you can do either at dnrstudios.com or on the fabulous DNR Cast app. If you listen to this podcast anyplace else, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, etc., leave us your ratings and reviews on the audio platform you use. Email me your dick pics, your whole pics, your poetry, your dreams and hopes and fears at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page, download my two comedy albums, get your ass merchandise at adamsank.com, including adorable Demon Twink tank tops and t-shirts, and also This Is Fuckery tank tops and t-shirts in honor of JB. Remember, you can call the ass hotline anytime, even when we're not on the air. Leave us a voicemail. That number is 804-TALK-ASS. And please get vaccinated. Get your booster once you're eligible for that. You can never have too much uh, anti-COVID in your arm. That's what I say. Our guest today is uh, an adorable and talented straight boy named Brett Druck. I've known him for quite a while. He's the host of a fun podcast called Is This Anything that I have appeared on, and he will be joining us live in studio. We will get to gaze upon him. Uh, But first, uh, Ryan Frostig is off once again this week, and filling in once again is the love of my life, Patrick Bod, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, everybody. The love of your life. You are the love of my life. Oh, my goodness. Is that too much? Mm, Not for me. Oh, good. Maybe for your listeners. I think the listeners like it. (laughs) I get lots of cute uh, emails and comments about you. Well, it's good to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to fill in for Ryan. You did great last week, (laughs) and now you get another shot. All right. We'll see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) With us again, as always, is uh, the, the man, the myth, the legend of fuckery, JB. You know, oh, I am. I had my straight. I had my straight people quota enough for the year. Okay, I'm tired of straight people. No more straight people. Well, what straight people have you been around? Uh, you know, this office loves hiring their straight people. So all the interns have been straight. Only faggot was Rafi. He cute. Yeah, yeah. Fuck her. Uh, <laughs> oh my! Like, a lot of animosity right off the bat today, JB. Yeah. What did Rafi do? she's pretty that's what she did like damn damn her for being pretty that's how i feel wow yeah and also her chicken spot hurt my feelings like she recommended this new chicken waffle spot and this is why you can't trust skinny bitches with food Mm. it was terrible wow very upset all right well should i tell our (laughs) should should i tell brett druck not to come because you're sick of straight people Uh, you could tell him to come i guess Whatever. What if he blows you? Yeah. Oh, well, different story. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see what we can do. Um, All right, JB. Well, I'm sorry that you're feeling grouchy, but uh, we're happy to have you here as always. Um, I'm going to start today with a question for both of you. uh, And you can base this on past experience if you wish or just your general thoughts. Do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea to watch porn with your boyfriend? I, I I should answer that because you're my boyfriend. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> you think it's a good idea? I was thinking about it. You and I have only done it once. Is this us? That, that's an actual recording of last night. What? How dare you? <laughs> that's a loud point. We've only done it once. Yeah. We've, and I personally, because I've done it in past relationships, I think it's best to keep it at a minimum. Okay. Only because it can supplant your actual sex life. Yeah. But I think it's cool to see what turns you on. 
like what you're going to, what you're looking at. That's true. Currently, I, it's information because then I can sort of play in your fantasy. That's true. You do that with me. I do. This is a lot of information. I like it. <laughs> I'm getting turned on. JB, what do you think? Watch porn with your with your man or no? Well, first I have to get a bath. And I have to watch porn with him. Now I have to see how it feels. In the past. I've, okay, wow. When my three boyfriends I had in my past, two of them I didn't have sex with, and the one time we had sex, we never even watched porn with each other. So I have no opinion. I have to, I'll have to do it to see. But mostly, as long as I'm getting dicked down, that's part of my fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really care what's playing Pretty in much. the background. Whatever works. Yeah. Well, Teletubbies will be playing in the background. I'm still getting my if dick it on. Works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, Teletubbies They're may hot. actually be kind of hot. Uh, well, <laughs> new new research indicates that sharing pornography in adult relationships is associated with greater relationship functioning. See, I was right. Couples who frequently watch porn together tend to be more satisfied with their romantic relationship and their sex life. This uh, study was published in a periodical called Frontiers in Psychology, and it calls into question uh, claims that are commonly believed that pornography use inevitably causes relationships to deteriorate. The new research represents the culmination of several lines of thinking that colleagues uh, in the field have been developing over the years. Um, for their study, the researchers examined two cross-sectional and two longitudinal data sets that were collected oh. by three independent laboratories. The data sets included information about 761 heterosexual couples. There were no gay couples in this study. After analyzing the data, the researchers found a positive relationship between shared pornography use and relationship quality. Partners who frequently watched porn together tended to have higher relationship and sexual satisfaction compared to partners who did not. What were you going to say, Patrick? Well, I wish, like, gay people were in the study. Yeah. Um, because I think that might say something. Um, but I think the problem with not sharing porn with your partner is maybe there's a big thing that you're turned on by that, like... <laughs> what are you laughing at, JB? Okay, because as soon as you started saying not sharing porn with your partner, I thought of Kevin Hart immediately. As one of, <laughs> one of his stand-ups, where he was, was talking to his wife, and they were talking about the same subject, watching porn, and, and the wife was like, this is not the type of porn I watch. And he was like, what? You have a secret to this house? Let's see what type of porn you watch. And... It wasn't even porn. Some some of it was porn, but others were just guys doing stuff like hanging stuff on a top shelf because he's so short. And, <laughs> just or like, doing things for yeah, his wife. Doing things for his wife. And he's like, no, what is it? And she's like, yeah, you know, it's what I like. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I so, mean, if you're watching it, maybe sorry. it's something that's missing. Well, this is what made this is what I thought of when I heard it was all straight couples. I think in straight couples, because men and women often find very different things hot. Mm. I think if you're a man who watches porn with your wife, you're kind of letting her into you. Like you were just saying, yeah. Heather, you're letting her into your world right. and letting her, you're integrating your marriage into these dark fantasies that you yeah. have, which are often very like secretive or shamey. Yeah. And if the wife's good with it, then you can then look at her and be like, oh, she's a sexy freak too, just like these women in the videos. Mm -hmm. You no longer have that split in your head. And maybe it's the same with us. Maybe gay guys do need to continue to objectify each other a little bit in order to keep the spark alive. Yeah, I think if you find something that turns you on and it can change, you have to run with that. And it's nice for your partner to be on board, you know? I agree. The researchers, uh, one of the researchers says in this study, another important avenue to consider is whether or not similar patterns of associations are present in same-sex relationships. And I have no reason to believe they wouldn't be. More work with LGBT groups will help further investigate and potentially challenge claims that male pornography use is more problematic than female pornography use. I also just want to point out there are lots of studies uh, – both, especially anecdotal studies, that watching porn, period, is damaging for yeah. guys. There, there, there's a big anti-porn movement among some men. 
There's a great uh, TED Talk that I've recommended in the past on this podcast called The Great Porn Experiment, which is all about what happened to this one guy when he stopped watching porn altogether and his moods improved and he became more productive and sex became better and he was able to perform better sexually. So, you know. I think the big problem with porn right now, as we know it, is you can switch stories so fast. Exactly. So your attention span, if you have one person in front of you, it seems boring. That's exactly right. And, and in the dangerous. old days, in the old days, a man might own two or three pornographic magazines that he kept for years. Right. And he would jerk off to the same images over and over again. Now, it's the you new can thing. turn on the internet and you can see a brand new image of porn every second of your life and never run out of images. And that does have an effect on your brain. I think it does. I think it links being turned on with new. Everything has to be new. Yeah. So it's destructive. But, um, you know, we'll try it again. You and me? Yeah. yeah. We'll watch another porn. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, that does sound like me. Meanwhile, um, we haven't talked about Jussie Smollett in a long time on this show. He was a major topic of conversation uh, back in 2019. I think we led every podcast episode with him for about a month. Anyway, his criminal case is headed to trial. The 39-year-old Smollett was uh, served with a 16-count felony indictment for allegedly filing a false police report after he claimed he was the victim of a shocking racist and homophobic attack in Chicago. And then it was alleged that he knew the two men who uh, investigated over the incident, and um, they claimed that he paid them and staged the attack. Smollett has pleaded not guilty to all the charges. Last year, he said he could he wishes he could yell from the rooftop and explain his side of the story about the ongoing case. Um, addressing the case on Instagram Live, he said at the time, it's been so it's been beyond frustrating because to be somebody that's so outspoken, it's been difficult to be so quiet, to not be able to say all the things that you want to say, to not be able to yell from the rooftop. Um, despite maintaining his evidence, Jussie was not feeling optimistic about the case, saying the city of Chicago, quote, won't let this go. He said there's an example being made of him. This is a case that I just want it to be settled. I just want to know. I want all the facts to come out. From my perspective, he very clearly staged an attack. But we've yet to hear his explanation, his lawyer's his defense explanation, as to how it was that he knew these two guys who say – that they were the ones who who allegedly attacked him. It just doesn't make sense. There's been no explanation offered from his side. And I'm hoping there is one. I'm hoping there is one too, because it just, what it appears like is a publicity stunt. And this is the thing people can point to and be like, look, nobody's harmed. This well, is that's all what bothered staged. me at the time, is that anytime someone cries wolf, it hurts. It hurts. Actual victims. Exactly who are, you know, it's very common that the hate crimes occur. And, and so to have one that, that, that is, that is staged. staged is really damaging. And if it's not staged, how horrible <clears throat> that this is being painted that way. And I always go back to, if there was any chance that he was telling the truth, Lee Daniels would not have fired him, right. would not have come out against well. him. But, but we'll see. Um, so the It's case, strange that he knew the two guys. <laughs> very strange. So the case is headed to trial. Uh, November 29th will be the first day, and I will be watching with rapt attention. Meanwhile, the U.S. Uh, has issued the very first passport denoting a gender of X rather than male or female. The State, State Department announced uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, the department did not identify the recipient, but a person named Dana Zim spelled Z-Z-Y-Y-M. Dana Zim is an intersex activist from Fort Collins, Colorado, and he told the Associated Press, uh, excuse me, they told the Associated Press that they are the ones, they are the one who received the passport with gender X. Since 2015, Zim, who prefers a gender-neutral pronoun, has been in a legal battle with the State Department to obtain a passport that did not require them to lie about gender by picking either male or female. 
Again, Zim is not trans. Zim is intersex. They are 63 years old. They were born with ambiguous physical sexual characteristics but raised as a boy. They had several uh, surgeries that failed to make them appear more fully male. They served in the Navy as a male but later came to identify as intersex while working and studying at Colorado State University. The State Department's uh, denial of Zim's passport uh, at the time prevented them from being able to go to two uh, international organization meetings of intersex people. They would like to travel, um, and uh, now they will be allowed to with this passport that says uh, X. Yeah, that's a big problem, that <clears throat> it would prevent people who don't fall one way or the other from traveling. I mean, that seems like something that needs to be solved. The State Department said in June that it was moving toward adding a third gender marker for non-binary, intersex, and gender non-conforming people, but that it would take time because of required updates to the computer system. In addition, a department official said the passport application and system update with the X designation option still awaited approval from the Office of Management and Budget. We talked about this uh, when we were in the cabin in yeah. Pennsylvania, and my feeling is we will come – there will be a day – in the not-too-distant future when people will no longer be required to identify their gender on official documents. Mm -hmm. Because What's why? Right, why? What does it tell you? Right. It's like having to identify your religion. Mm -hmm. it, it, what, what does that have to do with whether or not you're eligible to travel, whether you're a United States citizen or a citizen of another country? It doesn't. It's an identifier. It's an identifier, but it's becoming less and less uh, relevant because – People, men dress, men and women and, and non-binary people dress in gender-neutral clothing. They cross-dress. They Sometimes they dress as one. Sometimes they – you know, like there's yeah. no – these norms are falling away. And it does seem more and more like this is an arbitrary marker of identity. Right. I, you brought up in the cabin uh, Ms. versus – Mrs. and Miss, that we used to have to know the marital status of, of every, every woman. woman. Right. Because we would have to know who to contact if she was in trouble or, or you know, it, it's right. Who was responsible Who's for responsible her? Her for father or her husband? Correct. And we now realize how ridiculous that is, and we just call every woman Ms. And if she chooses to reveal her marital status, she can. But it's not required. Right. On a job application. So why does a job application ask you whether you're male or female? Right. Who who should I send the paycheck to, your father or your husband? Right. That's what it dates back to. Right. So this is a, this is a milestone, and I am happy for Dana Zim. I love that they, their last name is ZZYYM. That's very clever. I wonder what the M is for. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not male. <laughs> In other um, trans uh, groundbreaking headlines, Dr. Rachel Levine has become the um, – let me make sure I get this right – the first trans four-star officer in any of the nation's eight uniformed services. I didn't realize that um, non-military people get stars, mm. but apparently – uh, if you work in the Public Health Service Commission Corps, you get stars like you do in the uh, in, in the military. And Dr. Rachel Levine, who is the uh, openly trans assistant secretary of health, which was a, a um, cabinet level position. She was the first trans person in such a position. And she is now the first ever trans four star officer. Um it also makes her the highest-ranking official in the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. Um, Levine will lead the department's 6,000 public health service officers responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and building a stronger foundation for a healthier future. Many people welcomed the announcement and praised Dr. Levine for her knowledge, skills, and experience. However, not surprisingly... Members of the far right, including Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, mocked the uh, mocked Dr. Levine and the decision and, and the the awarding of the four stars. Marjorie Taylor Greene, in a tweet that was hidden by Twitter, but can still be viewed if you click on her account, said, 
a dude who lived the first 50 years of his life as a man isn't the first female anything. China is laughing at us. What does China have to do with exactly. anything? And Marjorie Taylor Greene, like, led people into the Capitol. She posted a photo of Levine in her admiral uniform with the comment, Welcome to Woke Medicine, America. Mm. Um, and then Boebert said some shit. And then this congressman, Jim Banks, one of these hideous Republican congressmen, he had his official Twitter account suspended after he intentionally misgendered Dr. Levine. He tweeted, the title of first female four-star officer gets taken by a man. Twitter, um, as I said, suspended him. And then he doubled down and said, uh, he, well, he tweeted from his personal account instead of his congressional account, which I guess wasn't suspended. He wrote, Twitter has suspended my official account for posting a statement of fact. I won't back down. I'll be posting on my personal account for the time being. Please retweet this message and follow me. Uh, you know, this is really the cultural battlefield of the day. It's all about trans people because the battle over gay rights is over and we won. Mm. We won, they lost, and they need to raise money Right. Off the backs of their hideous followers, and this is how they're now doing it. This is what they are banking on, literally. Yeah, it's a way to raise money. Ooh, trans people scare people who will pay money to prevent um, trans people from holding powerful positions. I mean, and is that even true? The first officer to hold this position that is not male is trans? That's the point he was making. I mean, I don't like that. They're all just so hideous and They're stupid. Hideous. And I don't, they seem to be proliferating. I mean, this is the problem is that Donald Trump proved that the the more of a moronic, the bigger a moronic asshole you are, the, the more popular you will be in the Republican Party. Mm. So they're all just aping Trump. They're all just trying to become like mini, mini Trumps. Right. Latch on to a de divisive issue, run, raise money, go. And meanwhile, Adam Kinzinger, one of two reasonable members of the House of Representatives from the Republican Party just announced that he's not going to seek re-election. Right. His district was basically erased by the Democrats in Illinois when they redistricted, which is a shame because we need we need sane, reasonable, moderate Republicans, Republicans. in Congress. Right. I mean, hopefully his seat will be taken by a Democrat now. They probably will be, but, you know... Kinzinger really stood up against Trump. He and Liz Cheney were really the only two. Right. And how long will Liz Cheney be around? Well, she seems to be doing okay. She's raising okay. a lot of money um, in her re-election campaign. Meanwhile, uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I announced with great delight that Catherine Hahn would be starring in a Joan Rivers biopic. Well, that's not happening. Well, well. The project, which was called The Comeback Girl, was announced last month in Variety. It had been in development in Showtime and was going to be produced by Warner Brothers Television, uh, Atlas Entertainment, and Berlanti Productions, with Han attached as the star and executive producer. But it turns out that the rights to Joan Rivers' life, which are held by Melissa, her daughter, had not been secured by the producers. I don't understand how they made that announcement or how they thought they were going to do this without getting the rights. Uh, we're, I don't think we're hearing the whole story. Maybe Melissa had like cold feet or wants to do it herself. They could have proceeded as an un unauthorized venture, but they wouldn't have been able to use any of Joan Rivers' jokes or catchphrases. Well, all right, then. Which is why, you know, the show Hacks on HBO Max, which I love. We've talked about it on the show with, with um, Gene Smart. Uh-huh. She very much plays a Joan, Joan Rivers type, type. character, mm -hmm. but it's not the same material. It's not the same joke. She doesn't say, can we talk yet? She doesn't do any of that. And in this particular project, she would have, but she can't. The limited series was set during a precarious time in Rivers' life, primarily in the aftermath of the cancellation of her late night talk show on Fox, uh, which coincided with the suicide of her late husband, Edgar, <clears throat> Melissa's father. The log line for the series was going to be trailblazer, adored, cruel, diva, 
Joan Rivers had a life like no other. At age 54, she was a super, superstar comedian, and then it all fell apart. The Comeback Girl is the awe-inspiring untold story of how Joan Rivers persevered through near suicide and professional abyss to rebuild herself and her career to become a global icon. I think it sounds like so good. I it would love so it. I would love to do that too. I miss her. I miss her too. She died at 81 after a botched surgery. Mm-hmm. That she had performed at home in her apartment. Right? No, I think it was. It, oh, was, it, it was. It like, was. It was at a, a clinic that was not oh, in right. a hospital. Right. It, it should have been. Right. And I think it was on her vocal cords. God. Um, after Variety broke. Okay, so when we so talked sad. about this on the show, Ryan asked, "Who do you think should play Joan?" Right. And I couldn't really come up with an answer. And then I read this, and I was like, "Oh my God! Of course." So after Variety broke the news. Um, that Han, who is not Jewish, would be playing Joan Rivers, the subject of non-Jewish actors playing Jewish characters mm. was taken up by the likes of journalists on Twitter, Time Magazine, and Sarah Silverman on her podcast, who called the issue one of Jewface. Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman would Sarah be Silverman. a perfect, perfect Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. Yes. I know she can do the voice. She looks like her. If you put a blonde wig on Sarah Silverman, she she's tiny and petite. She has that little face, and she's got the comedic timing and the chops. Yeah. She should fucking play Joan Rivers. You got chops, kid. <laughs> Who was that? Was Joan that Rivers? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> Doing a Joan Rivers? I, she's no, not Harvey I, Firestein. I, I don't know. I just I heard chops and the thinking about you got chops kid i don't know where i heard it from but all right jb just woke that's up. his new catchphrase you got chops kid <laughs> i just want to be loved is that so wrong anyway oh now i remember uh thelma uh from the simpsons the the, the, the sisters the smoking sisters. oh that's oh. like this homer why you treat march <laughs> i can't even do it that's it I yeah. post-covid i don't have it but anyway, we will not be seeing the Joan Rivers biopic starring Catherine Hunt. That's too bad. Um, we are really early. We're like eight minutes early right now, and our guest isn't here yet. So we'll do the LGBTQ Pride round- oh. roundup, and then we'll think of something, some other fun thing to talk about. Okay. Hit it, JB. Patrick, this is the part where you dance. We're dancing. Patrick really is a dancer. A professional. <laughs> I Listen, did a triple last night in your living you, he room. He did a triple pirouette in my living room after a, a rather lengthy uh, hit off the weed vape. <laughs> uh, today, November 6th through 8th, is Greater Palm Springs Pride. Oh, Congratulations, pride. Palm Springs. And also, it's Pride in Phoenix, Arizona. I guess it's a good time to have Pride in, in the, the Southwest. South. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then November 13th is Athens Pride in Greece. Let's go. We should go. I always hear about Mykonos as being like the great gay getaway in Greece, but yeah. I guess Athens has its own pride. I've been to Athens. Have you? How was it? Uh, I went in 1997 with my best friend Mel, and we snuck into the Parthenon. Mel is your best friend? Well, she was in college. She's one of my besties. I don't know. I don't know if at, at 45 you have best friends. It's like something from your 20s, I think. That's not true. I don't know best friends. Who's Me? your best yeah. friend? I mean, Scott, Scott is probably my best friend. Yes. Um, but I have friends that, that are like my, like Amy's my oldest friend. Right. We've been friends since childhood. She's right. one of my best friends. Right. I don't know. I, 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 I love Mel. We have the same tattoo. Oh my God. Perfect timing. We're actually early and our, our adorable guest just walked in. So Yay. have a seat. And we will uh, introduce you, and we will have an extra long interview with you, so you better be fun and interesting. Uh, Our guest today is a stand-up comedian and podcast host who's been seen on America's Got Talent and Fox's Laughs. He's also the host of a podcast in which he and other comedians workshop jokes. It's called Is This Anything? And I've been a guest. Take a listen. Yeah. Let me see The Lion King on Lava. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the uh, I didn't even song... understand the premise at first. <laughs> <laughs> the opening song would be a lot different because they would be like, "No, again, yum, yum, you know, because they'd be on lava. 
Uh, I mean, it, I think the Earth capades would be pretty boring. <laughs> you know? Sesame Street on shit. <laughs> Just a bunch of puppets rolling around in horse manure. <laughs> I mean, Cirque du Soleil is kind of like the air capades. You know, well, that's so true. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying no. specifically when they take a musical and they just put it on ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not other, you know, let me see it on water. Mm. Well, or why I mean, are they describing other th- things about like it's on ice? Okay. What is it under concrete? <laughs> <laughs> see the Lion King in building. Yeah. <laughs> on gravel. <laughs> Next to food. <laughs> I mean, how far can you go with this premise? It's it's like you'd come up with like five funny examples, and that would that would be the joke. Or would yeah. you? Is there more? Mm-hmm. What what else is there? Uh, Jersey Boys in oh, nice. Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. Yeah, I like that. Fuck with the location. And joining us now in studio is comedian and podcaster Brett Druck. Hey, thanks for having me. Brett, is your is his mic on, JB? Hello. Oh, wow. Yes, we're so professional here with the studio audience and everything. Yeah, I mean, thank God they're all masked up. Brett, I'm so glad you <laughs> I can hear glad... it in the claps. Yes, I'm glad you got here early. We, 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 ran, we ran out of things to talk about. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Uh, so welcome. What? Uh... Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yes. Tell us your origin story. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to college? When did you have your first gay experience? Tell us all of that. <laughs> Um, I grew up in, in South Orange, New Jersey. Oh, so um, close to me. Yeah. Or your, uh, Summit. Summit. That's right. Uh, I went to college in William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. Yes, I know it well. And, uh, my first gay experience was probably realizing that my good friend was gay and I had n- like no idea. And everybody else was like, yeah, I just have really bad gay dark. A friend from high school? From college. Yeah. Like my, my, my BFF, uh, for the first, like six months of college uh was uh was gay and, and it was like everybody's like yeah you didn't know that and i was like no i spent like every moment with them and i just and then from then on there was a series of me realizing i had really bad gaydar <laughs> he never made a pass at you no no not at all um but i mean th- that happens like a lot where people will be like you know he dude, that guy's into you and i'm like no we're just we're just buddies and they're like he was kissing your neck i was like we're just hanging out what <laughs> i don't i don't get it <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're not homophobic, right? Yeah, but you're also clueless about yes. yeah, yeah, people's yeah. sexualities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think actually most straight people are probably like that because they're not like. Why would you be looking for it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, not particularly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was. He was in the closet too. But uh, I was part of realizing that he was. He was gay, uh, and it was like a huge regret for me because. I thought it'd be really funny to read his internet history uh, uh, when we were all hanging out in the room. And I was like, oh, big black. Th-. And then I, I was like, and I started reading out loud. And then I started reading him quieter. And it quieter. said big black dick. It was like big black dick.com. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, that's hilarious. And then I was like, oh. And then I was, I was like, oh. And everybody's like, yeah. Do you know what's really freaky about that story? That reminds me of, do you remember Tyler Clementi? Uh, that, that sounds very familiar to me. He was a gay freshman, I think, at Rutgers. Okay. Or Princeton, I believe it was Rutgers, who basically it was a similar story. Like he had a gay guy come over to his room to fool around, and his roommate had a, ca- had a webcam on them uh-huh. and showed it to other people. Uh-huh. And then Tyler Clementi climbed up to the GW Bridge and jumped and killed himself. Oh, my God. Well, Wait, he was my... the violinist, right? Yeah. Okay, I remember That's that a story. Terrible that story. Was, yeah. My friend Joe was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so I did feel awful. So did that you out him to everyone? They, well, they, everybody was like, we, we know. We know, yeah. You're just the last get to, but also, it was very uncool. I mean, it was a very uncool thing to read, a somebody's, closer to me. Uh, read somebody's internet history was, uh, right. you know, a lot of regrets. So then did you have a conversation with him about it? Uh, no, our friendship did, uh, did uh, kind of deteriorate for, for other reasons, but. Um, you know how yeah. you could have fixed it? How? You could have let him blow you. <laughs> I mean, really, if you're a good friend. Uh, how did you first get into stand-up? Uh, I was doing theater in college. Um, and, uh, so you must have known a lot of gay guys. Yeah, well, I mean, now I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Straight I did. theater I did. or musical theater? 
it was straight theater. I don't mean uh, that like sexually. I mean like a straight play. Oh, oh I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought musical theater is gay theater. It is gay theater, theater okay, but, but yeah, it's very funny. But um, you, you weren't singing and dancing. No, I wasn't. I'm not. A, I'm not a singer. Um, yeah, I was just acting. Um, was was friends with uh, quite a few gay guys, uh, as you do in theater. Well, I realized you can, if you do theater. Um, you're around like pretty girls and guys who compliment you a lot. And I was yes. like, this is great. <laughs> Straight male <laughs> actors get a lot of tail. Yeah. And just ego boosts. Totally. Yeah. You get hit flirted with by everybody. So that was fun. Patrick, my boyfriend, Patrick, by the hey. way, was co-hosting. Nice, nice to meet you. He was in a theater program in college and he was the only gay guy. I was the only gay guy by the end. Yeah. Oh my God. It, we did so many by people. By the end? They, oh, oh, they, oh, they like left. A... Not they just became straight. <laughs> they were converted. They were there was all some... gay going into the program. And then, no, <laughs> straight survivors. It was a very strange theater program. No, I was surrounded by a bunch of straight guys. Oh. And I was the only This didn't guy. stop you from having sex with them. <laughs> I wish that was the story of my college experience, but it wasn't. I, I wasn't that I wasn't that sexual yet. So uh, so you're doing acting and then how to stand up uh, And uh, so it? I was doing these this New Jersey playwrights competition was happening at my school where uh, playwrights would submit their scripts, they would pick like the three best, they'd do a, a stage reading in the fall. Whichever of those got the best feedback they would do a full production in the spring. And I had done a couple of these, and they were comedies. But because uh, they were these productions that were, you know, kind of groundwork stuff, I, the, the writer would be involved, and he would be changing stuff in the script. And this is a comedy, and it was very frustrating for me because, you know, when you're acting, the, the words are, those are in stone. Yeah. And then the work is the emotional stuff around it. But he's changing the words and stuff like that. And I'm a writer by, by nature, so I also wanted – but I couldn't change the words. Right. And then there was uh, – they offer a stand-up class from American Comedy Institute at, uh, at William Patterson as uh, one of the electives in communication, which is really cool. Um, and I was majoring in communication, so I was like, yeah, I'll just take that uh, to fill off in an elective. And I just fell in love with like the control aspect of being able to, to write and perform. Um, and I was like, I, I can't – theater sucks now. Yeah, stand-up is great for control freaks. Yeah. That's why I liked it too, because you are producing you're producing, you're directing, you're writing, you're acting. You are the you are everything. Yeah. Which is terrifying. Sure. But also gives you complete creative control. Absolutely. And I love I love that. Um I mean I cut my own hair because even though I fuck it up all the time, <laughs> uh it's like if if a barber does it wrong and fucks it up, I'm so pissed. But if I do it, I'm like, well, it's it's my own fault. <laughs> You know? Wow, that is controlling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so when's the first time you perform stand-up like in a club, like to a real audience? It was Caroline's. Uh, of the that end, was your first? Yeah, that's what you do at the end of the, the, the course is you go perform at Caroline's. You do a bringer show. This wasn't like an Andy Angle thing. No, 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 no. It was, it's, it's by American Comedy Institute. So it's everybody in the class is bringing their friends and families. It's still a bringer, but it's not quite as, uh, you know, awful. Yeah, I did, <laughs> I did several bringers at Caroline's. Caroline's is a beautiful uh, venue, yeah, one of the best in New York. Unfortunately, when it's full. It's amazing. Run by the biggest shithead ever, but it's right. it, it's a great place to perform. And for those people listening who don't understand how stand up works, <clears throat> bringer shows are when the comedians are required. Each comedian performing that night is required to bring a certain number of audience members to the show. So it's a real audience ish. But right. they're also very supportive because they're there to see their friend or right. family member People, perform. Comics will shit on bringer shows all the time um, because, it, I mean, it's not a sustainable thing. Like, you, you need a lot of reps. Right. You, you run know, out like, of friends after a while. Exactly. And you can't write new material that's good that quickly. So then you're going to bomb if you do new material um, or too much new material. But uh, and that's that's a good reason to shit on bringer shows, and they're very you know uh, predatory. Like those they are people, predatory. they're making a lot of money off your friends and family. Um, but uh, the comics who start in open mics, they don't know what it's like to perform in front of a real audience. Right, because open mics are for other comedians. Yeah, the, the audience is at least in New York, the audience is entirely other comedians. <coughs> so they learn how to make other comedians laugh, but that's not a good read on on what a general audience is. So a bringer show is kind of like what you want to shoot for at the end of your career. When you when you're blown up and uh, you're starting to draw, then that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a bunch of people in the room who are there to support you and maybe some strangers mixed in if you're not a huge draw. If you're a huge draw, then everybody's there for you. That's a different experience. But a bringer is essentially what you want to achieve in your career. You want people who are there to support you, right. but then also you know, at a club. Right. Right. Okay. They came to see you. 
We're trying to get you as close to that microphone as possible. I feel like you could have used your words first, but uh, I appreciate how aggressive you were. JB, JB like, just walked over and just like shoved Brett's face into the microphone. <laughs> I'm just glad it was a microphone. Yeah, this is that happens a lot on this show. So how was that first time? Um, it was great. I had a really, really good show. I was like... I, after my first show, I was like, oh, I'll just do this a few more times and I'll be, you know, know. I'll be a professional comedian. We all think that, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, then you have your first bomb and you're like, oh, well, that was weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's I had a really, really good first, first set. Um, and so how old were you? I was 19. See, you started at the right time. Yeah. My first stand-up show was when I was 32. Oh, yeah. I started way too late. Yeah. I mean, I guess. You've got to be young. I think. 40 is too late. 32. I mean, you had a, I'm, I'm still mad that you walked away from standup. I totally understand why, but why are you mad? Because you were a good comic. Yeah. I just didn't enjoy it anymore. Well, that's a good reason. And I, like I said, I totally understand, but I'm just like, that's, that has nothing to do with you starting too late. I am surprised by people's reaction. Like people, when I first announced that I was leaving, Nobody believed it, and especially other comics were like, "You're going to do it again." And I was like, "I'm really not." Yeah. And I and I didn't, except for I was offered a couple really high paying things that I couldn't turn down, and I'm and that's still the case. Like, you want to throw a lot of money at me, I'll I'll show up at your event, but I dread it. I dread it like the plague. Mm. I just can't wait for it to be over. It just flipped, and you don't get the high just on me. No, mm. I get the high from being done with it mm. and being able to relax. Yeah. It really was interesting um, how it flipped because in the early days, I really did, it was a high. My legs would shake when I would get on stage. Do you think because you're pretty Type A? Do yes. you think that that is part is like maybe part of it? Like because stand up by nature, you won't be totally in control because there's so many variables. That's what I love about it is that I'm never completely like I know how exactly how this is going to go. Well, I hated. I, I loved being on stage for for most of it. I hated everything else that went along with it. Yeah, the it. career sucks. The, the career actual, sucks. The business stuff. Being treated like shit. Yeah. Over and over and over again. I mean, what really did it for me, I don't know if you know this story, is... Um, I think I do. This is... is uh, Dustin. Uh, oh, wait. No, maybe I don't. Yeah. So this comedian who, for a long time, was the booker and manager of a little comedy club in, in the village oh, Dustin here. Dustin Chafin? Yeah. Oh, he's the reason he left? He's the straw that broke the camel's back. As a, I mean, that's that's quite the straw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he that's at least three straws. He used to book me like once a month to do that show, which was great. It was mm -hmm. nice to be booked, but I was always the MC, mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't, I don't know why I'm the MC. Like, I have yeah. more credits than most of the people you've got on this show, and I have more successful sets consistently. And yet I was always stuck in, and, and for people listening, the MC is always like the shitty spot that like nobody wants. You have to do the most work. To warm up the crowd. You yeah. have to like stay the whole night. You don't get to leave after your set. But I was like, okay, it's work. It's, you know, I'll take my $25 and my two free drinks and do this. But there was this one night when he was just so nasty to me for the whole night. And I was doing three shows. It was like, you know, nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, one o'clock. And I had to host all three shows and we were in the quote unquote green room, which is like the basement like, right. kitchen or whatever. And he just kept slamming me. Everything I would say, he would just slam me. And, and, you know, I'd go up to ask him a question about the show and he'd be like, I'm in the middle of a conversation right now. Can you talk to me later? Like he's just treating me. And I'm, I'm like 46 years old, you know, I'm not <laughs> right. a kid. Yeah. And so I finally just like answered back. And I said, his girlfriend's also a comic who I considered a friend. And I said, boy, you know, I really feel for her right now. And he flipped out. <laughs> he, he flipped out as, if I, had, as if I had just called her a whore. Right. I wasn't insulting her. Yeah. I was insulting him. But he I thought he was going to hit me. Yeah. And he just screamed at me in front of all the other comedians for like 15 minutes. And then I started to leave. And he goes, where are you going? You need to MC the next show. And I was like, I don't think you want me here. He's like, no, I want you here. I want you here, but you just really were fucking out of line, man. Just don't fuck it. Like, just like it's like back in high school again, being bullied yeah. by like the asshole. And just for the record, like, you could ask a uh, hundred comics; ninety of them will have had a problem with He's this guy. He's a terrible yeah. person. He left, by the way. Yeah, he went to LA. Yeah. He's a terrible person. But anyway, I went. I shouldn't have stayed. I should have fucking walked out. But I stayed for the last show because I'm such like a good little boy who like has to fulfill his commitments. 
And I went home and I cried. Yeah. Because I was like, I am too old sure. to be in this to be in this, some shitty little club in the basement of this old building in Greenwich Village, getting on stage to perform for strangers for twenty five bucks and get treated like shit by a bully. Like I can't yeah. I can't do this anymore. So that part of the business I hated. Um being on stage and having it be wild and unpredictable, I loved. Yeah, because okay. I could because I could handle it. I sure. learned how to deal with it. But anyway, back to you. This interview oh, has suddenly become about me. <laughs> um, you perform around the country. You mm -hmm. tour a lot. Oh, pardon me. It's okay. Do you find that like as you go from region to region, you have to tailor your material and like certain jokes you can do? Let's say in the Northeast, you can't do in the South, and vice versa. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, certainly the crowds are different. Um, but, um, I would say I, I have worked really hard to make, um, my, my act something that is going to make people laugh just because they're human beings, um, as opposed to, um, a specific ideology or something like that. Um, you know, Steve Hofstadter, who I open for a lot, he's super progressive. His like yes. his politics are very clear, and that's who his crowds are. But when I was doing this brewery tour, I was in Trump country all the time on my own, and my act still held up. Now, that's because I'm I'm just like I I like what is going to bring us together, what the human condition is. I I like laughing at stuff that that speaks to that, and I like writing jokes. It's a little bit harder. It's a trickier line to 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 go down, and as the more divided the country becomes uh the harder that becomes but it's still possible um and that's so I, I haven't had to do that too much i mean i'll cater to the situation if there's you know a refrigerator that's going on every five minutes that is like overtaking it then i'm gonna have to riff on that right um but as far as like the area that i'm in my act seems to be okay and i've i've specifically tried to 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 work on making an act that would be okay in any part of the country. That is hard to do because you, you almost have to erase your own personality or your own uh, opinions and just find things that everyone can, can relate to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have no political jokes. Um, I think sometimes I'd, if it came up, I'd make fun of Trump's hair or something like that. But, right. And, and I mean, I was touring around the country doing this brewery tour in like 2017. So this is like Trump's still president. And, yeah. and they're like, there were some Trumpy crowds where if I just made fun of his hair, they would, they would be like so defensive. Ooh. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was kind of funny to me, but, um, but you know, 95% of my material is just like straight. Uh, I'm making fun of myself. And so, that's that's the easiest thing. That was always my act too. I feel like that's the safest thing you can do. Yeah, I think it's the most relatable. I have to ask you about where you fall on the whole on the whole Dave Chappelle thing and on this notion of cancel culture and what comedians can and can't say. Like, where, what are your thoughts as a working comedian right now? Um, okay, so I think that there is a line that um, people talk about. Some comedians think, "Oh, it's our job to push past the line." And some comedians think, no, you need to respect the line. And I'm like, you need to go around the line tactfully. You need to use compassion and cleverness to go around the line. Right. You should talk about anything you want to talk about. But the trickier the territory, the more clever you have to be. Right. That's like the degree of difficulty goes up. Yes. And uh, I didn't watch the whole special. Um, I, I had heard so much backlash, uh, mostly like negative, about like it's just it's, – it's bad and really regressive. And I take that all with a grain of salt because I've heard that before. And then I watch it and I'm like, no, these are good jokes. You're just, you're being, you're not, you're, you're hearing a buzzword and you're tightening your butthole. And then you're like, no, this is offensive. Right. Um, you're not listening to the joke. Um, I watched about 12 minutes of it. And I was like, no, these are just not good jokes. They're uh, not jokes. Yeah. They're not like, it, it's just, it's just not, it's not good from a technical standpoint. It's not good stand up. So it, I could, I, I probably will watch the rest eventually, but I know that it's like, if you're going to push against this, if you're going to cross this line, you're not doing it artfully. You're not doing it tactfully. You're doing it with, I mean, he's been too famous for too long. You can't be in touch and, and be that famous. You know, he's, he's just at the top of the game and, uh, with his crowd, he's just coming out and swinging his dick around and being like, you guys all love me. And he's still funny. He's a, he's a great comic, but he wasn't showcasing it there. 
I agree. I think something's happened to him. And I think his last few specials have been not particularly funny, really angry, like just like a lot of rage coming out and not, as you said, like in a particularly artful way. And we were saying last week on the show that he seems to have a real problem with trans women. Like this is on his mind a lot. And in my experience, when you're obsessed with something that you're not, there's a real, there's a reason for it. And mm. I, I think either he's got some kind of attraction mm. to trans women that he, that he's not okay with, or maybe he was hitting on or fell in love with a woman that he thought was a cisgender woman and oh. turned out to be, something's happened mm. for him to keep attacking this marginalized group that hasn't sure. done a goddamn thing to him. Yeah, I think that's it's that's a good, so that's good theory. It's just so weird. It's like why 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 is this the 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 hill you've decided to die on? Um the the that is a good theory. My theory is because there are a bunch of comics who are about his age range and his level of well not quite his level of fame, but but they're they're top 1% of comics who are very attracted to making trans jokes when they're not supposed to. And my theory was more that it's it's a matter of gender non-binary, like the idea of that in gender is too new and because they are comics for so long the idea of man and woman and something that combines them is just inherently attractive like it attracts from a comedy perspective right it's inherently it, funny it, it is two opposites being combined and so they're just like i can't not talk about it. that's crazy it's so funny because they can't reprogram their minds but that does track i do i do feel like it's always where there's smoke there's fire and like that does seem like something traumatic happened to him, and so he's just fixated. Totally. Um, let's talk about your podcast. Okay. Which I had a very fun time doing. That was a great clip that you picked, by the way. I was like, why don't we make that into a clip? Because <laughs> I was on it. That's what made it great. No, it's a great idea. What made you? Uh, what inspired you to 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 do a podcast about joke writing? Um, well, the pandemic hit and, uh, we couldn't perform anymore and we were like, we just need to do something creative. So, um, I think it was Rob Ryan. He spearheaded like, Hey, these are three guys that I know pretty well. They're all good joke writers. Let me, uh, let me get them together and, uh, we're just going to do a, a writing workshop and just, just to like work on jokes. Cause right. we can't try them. We can't think of them and then try them on stage and be like, oh, no, I got to do this and that. Um, and it's all comics who kind of understood the you know, the mechanics of like, well, what if you ch change this word here and stuff like that? The comics like who like doing that. Um, so we were doing that just, we were on zoom and we were just having so much fun doing it. And the record buttons right there. We were like, guys have like, we know we all need to start a podcast. If we were going to do it, let's, this is, this is it. Uh, so then we just, we just started recording and then it was a huge nightmare and, uh, everything, it became way less fun and everything you would, uh, not want to happen when you decided to turn it into a show. Uh, but eventually we got, we got everything balanced out and we kicked, kicked out the problem. I child. think what's fun about it is it's a, it's like hanging out in the green room of a comedy club. Yes. When comedians are hanging out together, they bounce off each other and they riff about like, well, what if we did this? And what if you said that? And what if you added that and tagged it that way? And that's, so it's kind of a glimpse into a rarefied world that I've always enjoyed. Yeah. I, I when love Dustin it. Chafin's not there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the, the, the green room uh, conversations sometimes are better than the show. Uh, totally. Because it's like, it's like a language that certain comedians speak. Not every com comedian can riff. It's also a freedom because we're not worried about every single yes. thing getting a laugh. Absolutely. And you're not worried about, is this person going to think I'm really think this or that I'm going for the funny part? Right. Well, it's available on YouTube. That's right. YouTube and uh, anywhere you can download podcasts, is Spotify, this anything? Yeah. All right. In the time remaining, Brett, it's time to play everyone's favorite game, Ask Me No Questions. Okay. Hit it, JB. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. What's the first joke you ever told on stage? Um... One of my friends said, and I'm not doing this just to, to, to pander to the show. <laughs> uh, one of my friends uh, was using the word gay to, instead of stupid. Uh, he said uh, he ate, ate a muffin. It was stale. And he said, yo, this muffin's gay. And I was like, is it gay? Did you see it having sex with another muffin? Did you see it at the muffin pride parade? Cute. You know what's funny? I've asked so many comedians on this show that question, and every single one of them remembers their first joke. 
Oh, really? Nobody forgets. It's like losing your virginity. <laughs> um, and thank you for standing up for us in your, in your comedy, Brett. Yeah, I just was going for the joke. <laughs> What's the best <laughs> advice your mother ever gave you? Ooh. Oh, that's... Oh, man. The best advice my mother ever gave me. Was she not a good advice giver? No, she just gave me so much good advice. Uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to pick the, the best. Um, I'll pick a, just a nugget, which is just go with what's working. Oh, simple. Yeah. Path of least resistance. <laughs> uh, if you could fuck any woman in the world, which is a strange question to ask when you're thinking about your mother, but if you could fuck any woman in the world, who would it be? My girlfriend. Oh, that's a safe answer. <laughs> Let's say she gave you a hall pass. Oh, uh, probably Shannon Sossaman. Oh, from the American Pie movies? No, she's, she's, in, um, she's in A Knight's Tale, and she's in 40 Days and 40 Nights. She's like such a weird celebrity crush. She's like in a very specific window of like 90s, 2000s movies. Yeah, I don't know who that is. I'll have to she's very check pretty. her out. <laughs> um, if your penis were a vegetable, what vegetable would it be? A squash. Oh, large, yellow, and bumpy. <laughs> I was thinking more of like an eggplant squash. Oh, I'm very intrigued. Uh, which hugely successful comedian least deserves his or her success? Ooh, um, I'm gonna have to say. Well, can I? Does it have to be as much success or like any success at all? Either one. You Jerry can. Seinfeld should not be as famous as he is. Interesting. Yeah. Why do you say Jerry? I just think that he. Um, I think he's uh, a hard worker, but I just think his material is like, it, I just think he's revered so highly because his show was so successful, but I don't think that he's the um, reason for the success of his show. And I think that his standup is like, it's good. That's so interesting. I actually think he and Ellen are the best observational comedians maybe of all time. Yeah, I've only seen Ellen's uh, HBO special, which is like her- The, the her, new one? No, the, the old one. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible. Her, so I would, her first based off of that, specials. I would put her ahead of Jerry Easley. But it, I just, it just doesn't do it for me, his stand-up. What about comedians in cars getting coffee? I think, listen, Seinfeld is amazing. Uh, comedians in cars getting coffee is amazing. Seinfeld in interviews is amazing. I agree with everything that Jerry thinks about stand-up, like 100%. I just, when I watch his stand-up, I'm like- you're not laughing out loud. I'm just like, oh, that's cute. I guess I see it. I mean, there's a gentleness to his comedy. It's not, I don't lose my mind laughing, but I do always enjoy it. It, it mm. always makes me smile and I always admire it's entertaining. I admire the writing. But he's the, you know, he's the top of the, at the top. So to me, that doesn't equal. Well, some would argue Chappelle's is. at the top. That's true. In terms of money and fans and selling sure. out arenas. I mean. Well, I don't think Chappelle has anything on Jerry in terms of money. Because of Seinfeld. Yeah. But in terms of, well, maybe he does. I mean, did, well, I guess he turned down that Comedy Central $50 right. million payday or whatever. He could have it. Um, describe the worst gig you ever had. I already described mine on this episode. Um, when I was about two years into comic comedy, uh, my buddy Kevin Dombrowski, uh, he booked us at a bar. And I was so excited to have like a real show. His uncle worked at the bar. And his uncle got fired like three days before the show. And they didn't want us there. But we were like, well, we're still going to do the show. We're showing up anyway. <laughs> and so they turned all the TVs on. They didn't promote it. That Nobody wanted us there. They were actually mad that we were there. But I was like, still going to go do stand-up. And uh, yeah, like I was on crutches at the time. While I'm crutching to the stage, before I've even gotten to the microphone, somebody goes, boo, fuck you. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Uh, it's like memory foam mattresses are weird. <laughs> Were you able to turn any of them? Did, they, did no? Not I had, a soul. I had not, no ability to veer from my material at that point. Those are the worst gigs when you know you're fucked from the get go, and there's literally nothing you can do to change yeah. it. It's like, why am I even trying? Yeah. Why am I up here? Um, what's been the most exciting day or night of your life so far? Oh my god! Uh, the moment I walked into this studio. Oh, good answer. Brett Druck, you are a delight. How can people follow you online and see you live in person you with your me. eggplant-shaped penis? <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at Brett Druck um, on all social media. Uh, BrettDruck.com will have links to all my stuff. Um, I'll be updating my schedule soon. I'll be on the road with Steve Hofstetter November 9th 
through uh, 23rd. And uh, you can go to stevehofstetter.com to buy tickets I to any Steve. of those shows. Thank you so much. And that's Brett with two Ts. Patrick, how can people follow you? P. Spencer Music at Spotify and Instagram. JB. Uh, at StockingAnarchy12, only on Instagram. My thanks to everyone. Tune in next week to hear a brand new ass. Our guest will be author Jameson Farn, who's just out with a new book called Bathhouse Babylon. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Insta at adamsank and on TikTok at adamsankofficial. Have a great week, bitches. Bye.